I'm beginning tonight a series that will probably last through this entire year on Hebrews, a majestic book. Now, if you need to help, some help in finding it, it's over near the end of the New Testament. So if you'll work your way back from the end uh, in, in the book of Revelation to the book of Hebrews, we'll begin our study together. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature, and upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, and He has inherited a more excellent name than they. Down through the centuries, the prophets spoke and the people listened. They were the first E.F. Hutton. When they spoke, everybody listened. It was as if God Himself were speaking. They spoke without error. Sometimes they spoke in rebuke, and sometimes they spoke in oracles. Am I on here? Sometimes they spoke in oracles. An oracle was a special form of preachment that the prophets used. It was an announcement for God, and it could be positive and negative. A negative announcement or oracle was God's announcement of judgment, and it took the form of the word woe. And so when the prophet announced woe, it was God's judgment upon the people. Sometimes in rebuke, sometimes in oracle, they preached. There was Elisha and Elijah, thunder and lightning. There was Isaiah, the princely prophet in the palace place. There were the tears of Jeremiah and the dreams of Daniel and the heartache of Hosea. And there were these thunderous words of Amos, the prune, the fig picker up in Bethel. And God took a prophet by the name of Haggai and through Haggai he caused the people to move out of their lethargy into the rebuilding of the temple. Always you could rely on the prophet telling you the truth. It was as if they had a divine voice box that was encased in this plain humanity like yours and mine. They were the mouthpiece of God. God took His mail and dropped it in the prophet's slot. And they were not to soften it or to change it or to alter it. They were to deliver it, and, to de and deliver it they did. And so it's no, mis it's no surprise that when you come to this letter addressed to Jews, that he talks about the prophets, because to the Jew a prophet was as familiar as the Pony Express rider on the frontier day, in the frontier days, and they received this message from God hand-delivered. 
Now, the original manuscripts or text does not begin the first verse with the word God like we have it translated. As a matter of fact, in the original manuscripts, it begins with these words, in many portions and in many ways God spoke. And what the author is wanting us to to see is the way in which this message was delivered. In portions and in ways, in bits and pieces, they brought God's message. They understood that they didn't have the last word. They just were bringing bits and pieces of the message of God, the revelation of God. And at the end of every message, they could print these three words to be continued, for they knew that they didn't have the last word from God. And when you read the prophets, you do not get all of God's message, for God is continually unfolding His message like some gigantic bedroll. And so in various ways they got the message out. I got various messages from my parents. Sometimes at the supper table, Daddy would tell me what was lined up for the next day. In the morning at 6 o'clock, we're going to plow the back 40 over there. Get ready for that. What he's telling me is, you better get in early tonight and get plenty of sleep. We're going to get up early. Sometimes he got the message across in, 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 uh, in rebuke out behind the woodshed or the barn. Sometimes my mother would bring a message. Sometimes in the little things that they did for me. Sometimes in just a look. Sometimes in a thrashing that I never deserved. In various ways, they got the message across. But I never remember my parents ever saying, now this is the last message. This is the last instruction. I think that if my father were alive tonight and I could talk to him, he'd be giving me some guidance and some instructions. So in various ways and in portions, God spoke through the prophets. Now, the way this reads is that He spoke in the prophets, in the sphere of the prophets. That is to say, God stepped out in time in the sphere of the prophet's office so they knew that when the prophet preached, it was God Himself. I'm reminded when I read this of of an orchestra. You've got the wind instruments that you breathe into, you blow into. And you've got the uh, percussion instruments that you strike and the stringed instruments that you strum or you bring the bow across. That's what these prophets were. They were just parts, just instruments in this great orchestra of God as He sounded out His message to the world. Now, but in these last days, in these final days, last in time and in place, there is finality. We come to the Son, S-O-N, and you could write the end after His name. This is the final word. This is the very termination of the times. This is the end of His revelation. There is a period after His Son. Now, it is significant that there is no definite article in verse 2 preceding the word Son. There is no the Son. As a matter of fact, it is in my New American Standard, it is His Son... But the word His is in italics, meaning that it's not there in the original text. It's placed there for clarity and understanding. Really, 
it's this. In these last days, He has spoken to us in Son. Now you say, well, that's kind of splitting hairs there. There is significance in the fact that there is an absence of the article. There is no article. There is no His. And the absence of the article emphasizes the character and the nature of the one to whom it refers. This is a Son kind of revelation. Now watch this. The prophets were instruments, were the mouthpiece of God, but the Son was the embodiment of God Himself. The prophet spoke for God, but the Son was God in the flesh, speaking His own language. No longer the instruments, no longer the translation, no longer the interpretation. I'm sure you heard about the story about the the uh, Mexican bandit who came across the border and would raid the villages and get the money and hightail it back across the border and hide the money. Jorge Rodriguez was his name. And this great Texas marshal got tired of it, and so he went across the border and hunting in pursuit of Jorge Rodriguez, slipped in the back of this little saloon in a little Mexican town, found him sitting at the bar. He went over and put a six-shooter at his head and said, Jorge Rodriguez, you tell me where that money is. I'm going to blow your head off. Over in the corner of the saloon, a little Mexican man spoke up. He says, Senor, Jorge Rodriguez does not speak English. I am his translator. You'll have to, I'll have to translate. He said, well, okay, you tell Jorge Rodriguez if he didn't tell me where the money is, I'm going to blow his head off. And so in Spanish... He interpreted to Jorge Rodriguez. The gringo says, if you don't tell him where the money is, he's going to blow your head off. And he was scared in Spanish. He spoke to the interpreter. He said, you tell the white gringo, don't shoot. If you go out to the well behind the saloon, take the fourth brick out of the third row, the third row of bricks, you'll find $3 million buried there. And the translator translated back to the gringo in English. Jorge Rodriguez says, go ahead and blow his head off. He doesn't know where the money is. <laughs> yeah. There are some things that get lost in the translation. Some things get lost in the translation. And so God had a word for this world. Listen, God had a message for this world. And here were the prophets... And through them he spoke as though he were speaking directly. And they were the mouthpiece of God. But something always gets lost in the translation. And in the sphere of the prophets he spoke. But now in these last days, the, trans the middleman is eliminated. The translator is gone. And God has spoken in his Son. Now, does the Son qualify? If the prophet is the mouthpiece of God, is this son kind of revelation superior to the prophet? Well, there are seven reasons why he is superior. Now, just get your pencil and mark them down in the text. I want you to circle them. Seven reasons why he is superior. First, God appointed him heir of all things. No prophet could ever claim that. God appointed him heir of all things. Second, God made the world through him. No prophet could make that claim. Third, Jesus is the radiance of His glory. No prophet has that claim. 
Fourth, He is the exact representation of the nature of God. The exact representation of the nature of God. No prophet would dare say that. As a matter of fact, He was constantly talking about, the prophet was constantly aware of His inadequacy. Fifth, Jesus maintains all things by His Word. Six, He made purification for sin. Seventh, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let me tell you something. You talk about an orchestra and a symphony. This thing builds to crescendo. Now watch this. It divides into three categories. You have them in the, in the notepad. Let's, let's, take, let's take them one at a time. First, Jesus is the sovereign Lord of the universe. He is sovereign Lord of the universe. And the reason why He is sovereign Lord of the universe is twofold. First, He is heir of all things. He was made heir of all things. Now, who was the first heir of all things? You, you answer. Who was the first heir? It was Adam. And God made everything, saw that it was good, made man, saw it was very good. And He told Adam, He said, I'm going to give you dominion over everything my hands have made. He was made heir of all things, but he sinned against God and he lost his inheritance. And the last Adam was made heir of all things. So that everything that God created, everything that is a part of the creation of God, belongs to the sovereign Lord. You know what that means? It means every penny you have in your pocket, the clothes you have on your back, the car you rode to this church in, the house where you will go tonight, everything that you possess really belongs to Him. It means that you belong to Him and that God lays claim both to you and to everything that you call yours. He made it, God gave everything to Him. Second, He is sovereign Lord because through Him the world was made. Now, it's interesting that the word world there is not the cosmos world. It's not the world, created world as we understand it. That, there's two words for world. This word is a term that means ages, the ages. And it refers not to the material that we know as this earth and its universe. It refers to the movements of events in history. He is not just the creator. He is the operations manager. He did not just create this universe, but he doles out, he, he hands out the ages, the movements of history are under his control. It means that everything that happens to you in life is the direct result of the activity of the sovereign Lord of this universe. That's pretty comforting. It means nothing can happen to you that he does not at least permit. Now I want you to turn your Bibles to Colossians. Let me show you an exciting passage. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 15 through 17. Colossians is two or three little books back to the left. Look, and He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by Him and for Him. That word for in the Greek is a word that means movement toward an object. All things came out from His creative power and all things moved toward Him. 
who have, that have been created. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, so that God, that Jesus, out of Jesus' creative instrumentality, everything in this universe came to be. And all the events of history are moving out from Him and boomeranging toward Him. And He holds everything together. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. Secondly, He represents the Father. He is the exact representation of the Father. Two things need to be said about that. First of all, He is the radiance of His glory. He is the radiance of His glory. It means a bright and flashing light that comes forth from within. Now watch this. A light that comes forth from within one's own essence. Now if we could get this illustration. If you could think of the moon, the moon is an an analogy of the prophets. The moon reflects the light that comes from somewhere else and shines that light back into the world. The prophet received the message from God and relayed it to the world. But Jesus the Son is analogous to the Son, S-U-N. It has its own life source and, and light power so that Jesus was in essence the bright and shining light. The prophets reflected the light that came flashing out from Him. Secondly, He is the exact representation of God. Now the word representation there is the Greek word for character. He is the character of God. And it refers to an image that is stamped on an engraving tool or the letter on a typewriter bar. So that here is the, here is the, the, the uh, letter or the, or the symbol on the engraving tool. Here is the soft metal or paper. And when you come down on it, what is here is the same as what is here. It's the exact picture he's describing. So that Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is the visible form. He is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. So that when someone says, what is God like? Well, He's just like Jesus. Third, He is the sustaining Lord of the, of the universe. The Bible says, the Scripture says, the text says, He upholds the world with His Word. And when He purifies, when He accomplished purification for sin, when He died on the cross, He sat down at the right hand of God in full confidence that this world will run just as He planned. I can count on that. Now there are three questions. First question, this is the application. Does God still release divine truth? Does God still release divine truth? The answer is, He continues to give insight, yes. Now what I was talking about this morning in the worship service was that God gives insight to reveal truth. It's what the Bible refers to as the mysterion. It's what man discovers that, is, that comes by revelation. And the Holy Spirit gives insight into what God has revealed, God's revealed will. But the question is, is God still giving information not revealed before? And the answer is no. Now write this down. There is finality in His revelation. 
Now, folks, listen carefully to me. I think it's relevant to our time. Everybody is seeking some new revelation from God. We've just been studying the cults, the film series of the cults. and The cult uh, philosophy is that God somehow gives to somebody else new truth, new revelation of truth. This is the final revelation. Now, let me, let me suggest this. You know, there's some, I was reading the other day, a lady saw the Lord in a taco. You know, everybody wanted to go down and see that taco, you know, and get that new message from the Lord. Down there in Beaumont, Texas, this lady saw this vision of Christ in a screen door. And everybody in South Texas made a beeline you know, drive by and see that screen door, get some new revelation from God. Folks, listen carefully. When you exhaust this revelation, when you understand the meaning of this revelation, and you live up to this revelation, then you can start on the next one, but not until. I mean, this is it, the final revelation. There is finality in His revelation. You don't need anything but God's Word. Second question, has God lost control of His world? Now, if I want to believe the newspapers and the television, the answer is yes, He has lost control. Everything is coming loose. But the answer to the question is no. The text says that there is sovereignty in His control, that God is in control. All right? There is finality in His revelation. There is sovereignty in His control. Third question. Can mankind know the God who has revealed Himself? Can mankind know the God who has revealed Himself? The answer is yes. There is reality in God's representation. So, there is finality in His revelation, there is sovereignty in His control, and there is reality in His representation. Now, do you want to know God? Then you come to know Jesus Christ. You want to know what God is like? You study Jesus. You want to know how to walk? Then you follow the teachings of Christ. John Newton says, We can have no true knowledge of God, no access to Him, or gracious communication from Him, but by and through His Son. If you've never come to know Jesus Christ, you do not know God. There is no way to God except through Jesus. There is reality in God's, revela- in God's representation, and His representation is His Son, Jesus. Now, how, do one, how does one get to know God. He gets to know God through Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Have you ever met Jesus? Have you ever encountered Jesus? It's a little while ago I sat down in my office with a little child, about nine years old. And we talked about what it means to become a Christian. And this was my question. How do you get to know God? How do you become a Christian? How do you have your sin forgiven? And a little child said, By accepting Jesus Christ into my heart as my Savior. And that's the profound 
message of the Word, that one comes to know the God who created us through simple faith in His Son. You know Jesus Christ? Join me in prayer. God, I thank You that in times past You declared Yourself, revealed Yourself in the prophets. But in these last and final ways and days, You have given us the full and final revelation in Your Son, a Son kind of revelation. And everything we need to know about You everything we need to learn about you, we come to know and to learn through our faith in Jesus Christ, simple trust. And I pray tonight, Father, that there will be men and women, boys and girls, who will come to know Jesus, and thus through Him come to know you as Father and Savior and Lord. And may in this moment of decision and truth, we indeed confront the reality of our understanding and knowledge of Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Now there are three invitations to which I would confront you and call you. The first invitation is an invitation to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. God's last word to you is Jesus. He took that one word, Jesus, and that's His final word. Would you come and trust Him tonight and place your faith in Him? Maybe you need to come tonight to rededicate yourself to Christ or to join the church, to submit to the sovereign will of the Lord who's, who controls the events of your life, who made you. Whatever God leads you to do, would you do it with all your might while we stand to sing?